Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord, we, uh, we thank you so much that you have been faithful uh, in so many ways, Lord. And, and one of the amazing ways that you've been faithful is that you have chosen to give us your word, um, that we can turn to it at any time and at any season, Lord. And Father, you know who's in the room. You know what people are dealing with this morning. You, you know where they are in their hearts. You know where they are in their minds. You know where they are in their souls, the things they struggle with, the things they're joyous with. And we just pray and ask, Lord, that this morning that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit upon this time in your word. We, we decide right now not to lean on our own understanding, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us. But to do what, church? To lean on the understanding of the Lord, right? We trust not in ourselves. And, and so, Lord, we commit our minds. We wipe, it, we wipe it clean of the things we have thought. And we say, Lord, speak to us. Speak to us again by your spirit. And in Jesus' name, the body of Christ said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Let's begin um, beginning in verse 11 of Acts 28. Are you guys all there? Amen. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers which had wintered at the island. A little, a little backstory here. Um, Paul had just been in a giant shipwreck with about 275 of his very closest friends. Um, they weren't actually. They were just prisoners and, and other people with an entourage. And they're, they're heading in this ship to be taken to Rome. That's where we're going to be arriving today. And they got shipwrecked, they ended up on the island of Malta, and it now takes a long time for them to actually get going again. So they've had to wait there three months. And it says now that they're finally able to kind of take off and continue their voyage. We sailed in an Alexandrian ship, so that's an Egyptian ship, most likely an Egyptian uh, grain ship. Um, can you guys put up the, the map of the... Uh, it's this fourth now, fourth missionary journey of Paul. Yeah, we'll get on there. Oh, let's put up the more interesting map. There's the one. That's, for those of you who weren't here week, or week, was it last week or the week before? So Pastor Aaron um, uh, drew in the hurricane, basically, that they went through, which I think is awesome. I hope that some Bible publishers take that, actually, and, <laughs> and use it, because that's really more what the voyage was. And uh, whose life looks a little bit like that right now? Anybody? Anybody want to volunteer that? Yeah. yeah. Um, although, I got, we got we to admit, like the hurricane we just went through, the tropical storm, lame, right? <laughs> lame. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, but totally lame. Like yesterday's thunderstorm, like beat it by like 10 to 1. <laughs> 10 to 1. They actually had a scorecard, and like the people were putting up, they're like... <laughs> Like, the hurricane was like twos, you know, they're like two and a half, I think that's the highest it got. But yesterday's thunderstorm was like a nine, 9.3. 9.3, that's pretty good. So anyhow, they're, um, they're now, they've, they've done the hurricane, they arrived on the little tiny island of Malta, they had some really interesting ministry stuff happen, and now they're continuing on their voyage, and so we'll continue on in the text. Um, okay, so the, 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 the ship had these, uh, these kind of painted heads on them, uh, the twin brothers. Um, these are Castor and Pollux, which were the sons of Zeus, the, the mythical uh, god. And I emphasize the word mythical. Um, and these were actually the kind of the, I guess, patron saints of, of, of sailors in the research that I looked. So anyhow, I'm sure you wanted to know that. Um, okay, and landing at Syracuse, we stayed for... Three days. So right. So now they've they've arrived up at the island just north of Malta, which is uh, Sicily. So the the city of Syracuse is in Sicily, and from there we circled round and reached Regium, which is a city just at the very tip of the boot of Italy. Right. So where the where the boot starts with the big toe, big toe, uh, that's Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. And the next day we came to Putioli, which is actually a harbor that is really near the city of, anybody know? Naples. Naples. Hey, Italian geography dude, I like that. That's probably not your actual name, um, <laughs> but I'm impressed. 
Um, and guess what, uh, guess what volcano is near that? Vesuvius. Vesuvius. So this is interesting. In, uh, I, think, I think it was 69 AD, if I'm correct here. Let me check. Let me check my notes. Da, 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 da. Yep. No, no. 79 AD. Excuse me. Vesuvius blew. And that's the, 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 this big, you probably heard of the, the blowing of Vesuvius of that. Um, Felix, actually, remember we read about Felix a couple chapters ago in the book of Acts. His wife, Drusilla, and their son actually died in the volcanic explosion of Vesuvius in 79 AD. So don't go against the Lord, people. That's I'm just kind of joking around. Okay. So they're, they're, waking, they're making their way up. And if you, if you notice, just for those of you who are kind of note takers in the text, it says the south wind blew. They probably had to what, do what's called tacking with their, with their vessel to actually get around Sicily. That means they didn't, didn't have wind. So you have to kind of do this weird back and forth thing with uh, your sails sailing into the wind in order to get very far. And it says, now the south wind blew, which of course makes them go north. That's the direction they're trying to go. And the next day we came to Putioli, which is uh, the port city of Naples, where we found brethren. They found brethren. They found fellow believers, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, and were invited to stay with them seven days. Now, we got to remember this, okay? So they, they meet some people, which is it's great. Like when you, when you run into people that you know at a restaurant, you're like, hey, I didn't know that you'd be here. It's, great. it's, kind, of, it's kind of fun, right? But you got to remember, this wasn't just like brethren coming um, and, and, and meeting them and being like, hey, look, it's, it's Paul. Because it was Paul plus 275 of his closest friends and family, right? So like when you think about that big of a number of people, it would be like if I went somewhere for Thanksgiving, I'd be like, hey, do you guys mind if I uh, invite the church I'm with? And they're like, yeah, sure. And like you all came with me. Like we all did Thanksgiving at like a small place. be pretty pretty interesting. Um, let's go on. And so we went toward Rome. So they're headed to Rome. Um, and this is actually a fulfillment of a, a prophetic word that the Lord had given Paul. Turn back with me a few chapters to Acts 23, 11. The Lord had, had said to Paul, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must, you must also bear witness at Rome. And this whole big adventure that Paul is on heading towards Rome is just all to fulfill the prophetic word that the Lord had given him just before that. And from there, verse 15, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and Three Ends. These are two small towns that are south of Rome on the, uh, in the, uh, the land of Italy. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And I think it's, it's important to, to kind of pause here and, and recognize what, what exactly is this? Paul has been shipwrecked, right? He was on the island. He got, he got bit by a snake. He had to kind of shake that off and, and move on with his life. He was then ministering there on the island, telling the people there of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And as he's going north towards Rome, and he's probably thinking, this might be near the end of my life. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what's going to be happening. And brethren hear that he's there. Now, he's never been to Rome before. He's, he actually wrote a letter to Rome, to the Roman church, about three years prior to this. He's never been there. He doesn't know that there are believers there. And what do these believers do? They've, they've heard of Paul, no doubt. They've received a letter from him. And they come a far distance from Rome to greet him. Do you know what that feels like when somebody goes out of their way to come and greet you when you're in the midst of a, of a hard journey, right? I mean, he's still a prisoner within this entourage, we see all amazing things that he does, but he's still, he's just a prisoner, right? And it says that people, these brethren, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and Threans. This is, this is like people bringing, like an entourage coming to meet Paul in the faith and bringing him to Rome. That means a lot. Now we read about what this meant to Paul. It says, now when we came to Rome, um, oh, I'm sorry, at the end of verse 16, and when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. 
He was encouraged by this. He was, he was blessed by this. What, what is it when you're going through a day and, and somebody in your life does something to like just to meet you where you are, to, to speak a word to you, and you're encouraged, and you have like strength just from that one moment to be able to face the rest of the day? Being encouraged is a huge, huge boost to your life, is it not? And, and for Paul, this experience was something that really really encouraged him and helped him. Now, when we came to Rome, so they finally arrived, it says the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So Paul now is arriving there, and he, he gets a privilege. He gets a privilege, even though he's a prisoner, to be on his own. And of course, we know of all the miraculous things that he has done um, while, while, in, while a prisoner that now he's, been, he's being kind of given special privilege, isn't he? That even though he's a prisoner, he's allowed to be on his own. The rest of these prisoners, where are they being delivered to in Rome? He's been with these guys for, he's been through shipwrecks with them. They've seen him on the island of Malton. They're headed off probably to their death. What are they taking with them? They are taking with them, right, the testimony, the testimony of a follower of Christ. Guys, let me just encourage you when, when you are in your workplaces, when you are at your homes, you never know the power of the testimony that you have sharing with other people, that they may be able to then face something in their lives that maybe they didn't think they had the courage to do or the strength to do or the resolve to do. But you can have that kind of impact in other people if you are ready to just let your testimony shine, you know? And there, there are probably people, I mean, I, I'm reading into the text here, but there are probably people who were prisoners on there who were like, you know, what's the point, right? Hopeless, right? If you're a prisoner, you're headed on your way to your death, what's the point is a pretty common thought probably in your mind. God doesn't think that way about you, though. He never thinks, what's the point? He's always thinking, would you, would you know me? Would you come home to me? Would you be with me? And Paul was the kind of guy who would be delivering that message in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of, of harm, and speaking and telling them so that they could, as they, as they walked off into their deaths, that they could have faith if they chose, if they chose to hear the testimony and receive it for themselves. Now it came to pass, verse 17, after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. We know historically that at this time in Rome, there were about 11 synagogues. So there was actually a pretty big Jewish presence in Rome at this time. And Paul, for some reason, and this is a really interesting point in the text and something that's actually very different than some of the other places where Paul has been. Paul decides to call together the leaders of the Jews He's not, usually he would go to a synagogue and try to kind of teach. He doesn't do that here. He calls the leaders to himself. And so when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. He's explaining to them why he's come and, and, and the charges that have been leveled against him because he is a man under accusation. He calls the leaders of the, all these synagogues together, these, these higher-ups within the Jewish faith, and he's telling them why he's come. He's, he's almost like, almost kind of confessing. He's like, look, I, uh, I'm, I'm not here because I've done uh, good things in people's eyes. I'm here because people think I've done bad things in their eyes. And he's kind of explaining to them he says, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, they wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. He's like, the, the charges are not good, but that's, this is why I'm here. People have made accusations against me. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. He says, the Jews in these other places, they didn't want me to be free. They, they actually were behind the idea of me being a prisoner. So he said, so I had no choice, basically, and I appealed to Caesar. And this is something as a Roman citizen that you could do. If you felt like you were being a, 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 treated unfairly, you could by law appeal to Caesar, and you would be given a hearing before like the high court, basically, before the leader. 
not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. And that's an interesting kind of line in the text. He's like, I, I don't have anything against the Jews. That's not why I'm here. In fact, we all know Paul was very much pro and for the Jews. He himself being, of course, a Jew, himself a Pharisee. And then he tells them in verse 20, For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. For the hope of Israel. What does he mean by that? For the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Israel was given the word and they were given messages within that word about what the purpose of life and about how to live and about a Messiah. And he's saying, for the hope of Israel, for the, the realization of what Israel is for and the purposes of which Israel even exists, I am in chains. That's a very interesting and important thing that he shares with them. He's telling them, I, I'm not in chains because I've done something wrong. I'm not in chains because I'm a murderer. I'm not in chains because I, 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 did, I, had, I committed financial fraud. I'm not in chains because of this. I'm in chains because of a hope that I have that others simply disagree with. Have you ever felt that you were in chains because of a hope that you had, but that other people didn't agree with? Have you ever felt bound by, by actually your, your faith because somebody else won't understand it? Somebody else won't receive it. Somebody else doesn't know. There's a lot of people that they don't know the hope of Israel, people. There's a lot of people that don't know the hope of Jesus. There's a lot of people that don't know the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of people that don't know this word. Think of the time before you became a believer. What was your impression of the Bible? When someone said, a Bible, a Rolodex of stuff comes into your brain, right? All kinds of stuff. Oh, the Bible means this. For some people, it's like, oh, that's, that was used to like condone uh, 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 slavery. Or some people think, oh, the Bible, oh, that was used to, uh, to create uh, and enforce a white patriarchy. Or, oh, the Bible was used for this. And then something comes in their mind about what that means. I remember when I was an undergrad student, I, I, at a certain point in my life, I was, an, I was an atheist. I had wandered away from the church. I rejected the things of the Lord. I was just like... No, I don't want this. I, I'm not interested in this. I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to do whatever I want. And I met this friend, and they gave me a Bible. I'll never forget it. On a, at a soccer game, I went to Indiana University at a good soccer team. And the game was really good, so it was a little distracting. It was kind of like, really? Bible? Soccer game. Soccer <laughs> Bible? Like, can you get me some nachos, too? Um, I don't think I said that, but I probably would have. That was the kind of character I was. And I, so they gave me a Bible, and I was like, oh, man, you know, Bible, you know, because I had my Rolodex. I, I was like, I know what this is. I know what this is. I was a music student, so later that night, I went to my a practice room to, to, uh, to practice. That's, that's basically what I did in my undergrad, is I practiced the violin in a small room. I often do that today. Um, <laughs> um, but I stopped practicing and I got this Bible out and I began to read. And let me just tell you, if you've never just, just simply cracked open the word and just like no bias, just read it. I mean, that's like the, the simplest thing I could ever tell you would be just read it. Just read it. Because what I found when I read the beginning chapters of Genesis, was, well, this is very different than what I expected. This has depth in it. This has character. This has love. This has uh, the reason for creation in it. This has the reason for the fall of the world, the reason the world is as it is, how it came to be. It had all these answers. And the name of the Bible, the edition of the Bible that it was given was called the, 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 uh, the answer study Bible. It's like, it has the answer. I was like, oh, that's, that's very presumptuous, don't you think? <laughs> like, I have the answer, you know? And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I was like not a fan of it, because I didn't like that, you know? I didn't like th that, that sense, but it was completely true. 
when you read, when you just read the word, you find out this amazing thing that there's two things happening. Yes, your eyes are on the page. Yes, the words are coming in. But guess what else is happening? The word is reading you. And that's the thing. That's the thing about this text. That's the thing about this, this thing called the Bible is that it wants to come and be inside you. It is a living word. It is a living word. And so when we talk about the hope of Israel, when we talk about, about the, the, the actual power of the word itself, it is, it is waiting there. It is, the, the Bible is the biggest bomb that you have in your house. It's just ready to go off. It's just like, it's just waiting for somebody to go, and you know? That was a, kind of a July 4th, a week late metaphor, I think, probably, so. <laughs> So he tells them, it is for this hope that I, that I am in prison. And then they respond. And they said to him in verse 21, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. And I think this is, this is hilarious, because you think Paul was like laying his heart on the, on the table right before them. He gathers these people. They didn't ask him to come. He decided to go to them, to tell them, like, look, it's almost like confessing, like, look, th- this is why I'm here, you know? And he's probably thinking that they're going to be like, yeah, we know. We've heard about you, you troublemaker, you know? And what is, it, what is their response? Uh... What? <laughs> you know, they have no, no idea. And I think probably Paul on some level could have been like, I should have just kept my mouth shut. Just, didn't, I could have just told them the gospel and not told them that I was like a prisoner or in chains or anything, you know? And uh, so I think that's, that's hilarious. I can imagine, like, this is an eyebrow moment, right? You're like, we have never heard that, neither heard that, that well, let me just read it, sorry. <laughs> Uh, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you. He's like, oh, okay. And nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. And I think Paul would have been like, oh, I would just never mind, you know, never mind that other stuff. Yeah. No, let's just talk about the hope of Israel. But then they do add this one thing, but, verse 22, but we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, concerning this sect, that would be the Christian Jews. We know that it is spoken against everywhere. The word there for sect, if you're a, if you're a Bible note taker, interested in, in languages, the word there for sect is heresis, which is where we get the word what? heresy. Concerning this heresy is what they're saying. This off teaching, this wrong interpretation. It is spoken against everywhere. Now they didn't know about Paul's arrest, but they knew about the teaching of Christ. They had heard about this and they said, but can you tell us about that? Because everywhere people are, are bad-mouthing that. Now that's fascinating for a number of reasons. One, it tells you that the rumor mills were circulating as they do. You don't have to have social media to get the word around. <laughs> In the ancient days, it traveled on its own. And it still does. But it tells you also this. Why in the world, why in the world would these Jewish leaders from 11 synagogues, the, they're the powers that be in that land at that time, why would they want to come and listen to a prisoner? And why would they actually ask him to teach them something? Why? What does Pastor Aaron tell us? But God. But God, God is working, God is moving, God is speaking, God is active, God is seeking the hearts of men. He always is, he always will, he always has. 
they're asking him, hey, what's your opinion on this matter? An open door. This is an open door. Guys, when you're going through your life, when you're, when you're at work, when you're at home, the thing to be praying, if you're interested in sharing the gospel, and all of you who are followers of Christ, you should be, right? Because that is one of the actual commandments that we are, we are told to make disciples. The thing you need to be praying is, Lord, Lord, please show me an open door. Give, give me a door to speak your word. Give me a door to share the love of Christ. And the Lord, at certain points, you're walking along the day, you run into someone. You run into something. That is the door. You'd be praying for that door, and when, when it comes, then you know to enter in. If you're, if you're scared about sharing the gospel, this is actually one of the things that will release you from those fears. When we sang about that, but it's knowing that you don't have to pick the time. You don't have to pick the place. You don't even have to pick the words. You just have to be ready to go and willing to speak. When he opens the door, as we will see with Paul, he will give the words and the wisdom, and Jesus promises that to you. Jesus promises to give you the words and the wisdom that people will actually not be able to stop their ears against. So, in verse 23, so what happens when this open door comes? So when they had appointed him a day, so they actually like set up an appointment for Paul. They, they, you see that? that? That's but God stuff right all, all over the place there. I about said all up in there, but that has a kind of a weird connotation. Uh, <laughs> um, so when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. They appointed today. They said, you know, let's get together Wednesday uh, at 7 o'clock for the Practical Christian Living class. Well, that's called a plug. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> they appointed a day and the time to get together. Yeah, I'm, I'm serious about that, though. Uh, <laughs> come on out, people. Get fed. Get, 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 uh, get changed. Matured ready. And it says, they appointed him a day when many came to him at his lodging. And, and remember, the, these are, again, the leaders of the synagogues in Rome. And they're like, okay, yeah, prisoner. Oh yeah, hope of Israel. Let's get everybody together. So they grab all these people to come and listen to Paul for what? Like, like for a half hour lecture? I don't think so. No, for a classic Sunday morning 45.2 minute message, of which I am bound to completely destroy this morning because <laughs> you know me. Uh, yeah, turn off, your, turn off your clocks, people. God's time, not my time. No, they had, he taught them from morning till evening. And what did he teach them? He taught them the Bible. <laughs> he just brought out the good book. And it says there that he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Now, just to break this down, the law Generally speaking, the law of Moses was what we call the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible. Right? What are they, guys? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Hey, good. Nice, nice. And all the minor prophets? <laughs> Which minor prophet was the most friendly? Hey, guy. Which minor prophet was the shortest? <laughs> Which minor prophet was the shortest? Nehemiah. Classic. Which one's name was Habakkuk? 
Habakkuk. <laughs> You're all like waiting for a joke, and it wasn't a joke. So Aaron's not here, but I got to throw a dad joke in here real quick. Um, when does a dad joke become a dad joke? When it becomes apparent. <sighs> Let's, yeah, I know, all right? Let's, can we just all groan together, though, like worship? Ready? One, two, three. Be still my heart. Thank you. Uh, that's what I live for. Moments like these. Moments like these. You sing out a song. Sing out a love song to Jesus. Amen. You know that one? I barely know that one. <laughs> so he teaches them concerning Jesus. Did you know that Jesus is all over the Old Testament? Were you maybe thinking like some that Jesus is, is in the New Testament only? He's not. And I can only imagine where Paul went through in explaining these things from the law of Moses and the prophets. But let me just kind of give you a brief, a brief uh, um, summary of the places that he probably went. Um, we're going to be doing some page turning here, so get your, uh, like, do, a lot of this going on. Probably not good for COVID, but okay. So I'm just kind of do a quick summary of this because we often say like, okay, so yeah, Jesus is in the Old Testament, but then we don't actually go through and like show you. So I'm going to just show you. We'll be here for, well, morning till evening. All right. <laughs> and, the, and the body of Christ said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, you guys brought lunch, right? It's okay if you eat during this. It's cool. All right, Genesis. Let's go from the beginning. Genesis. 3.15, the fall. I'm not going to go through all of them because there's lots. There's like over 300. So, <laughs> how encouraged are you now? Yeah. You're like, oh, right. I'm going to be here forever. Fantastic. So, the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The, the Lord is speaking to the serpent and he curses the serpent because he's, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's, well, he's done this dastardly thing of convincing them to eat of the fruit of which God told them not to. And so here's the curse. Um, in verse 15, it says to the serpent, I will put enmity, or I'm going to make this, this, this horrible relationship between you and the woman, right? Because the serpent deceived Eve first. And between your seed, right? Satan and her seed. Her seed? The seed is not of, of woman. The seed is of man. This is what's called the proto-evangelium. The first hint of the gospel. Her seed. This, this, this points all throughout everything to do with, like, with the virgin birth, the prophecies in Isaiah 7.14, which we will get to, and it all begins here with a pronouncement of what the Lord has given. And he probably stopped here and said, what do you guys think that's all about? Who is that about? Who is her seed? Moving on, Genesis 49. This is an amazing passage of scripture. If you guys haven't read through Genesis, I highly encourage you to do so. 49 is a special place because it is a prophetic thing about the 12 tribes of Israel. The specific one I'm going to focus on is the tribe of Judah because that is, the prophecies are telling us that the, the Messiah would come through the specific line of, of the tribe of Judah. Now I'm just going to read the whole thing beginning in 49 verse 8. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp and from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall, rise, shall, shall rouse him? You've heard of the, of the lion of the tribe of Judah? This is where that comes from. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him, and that Shiloh is the giver and the bringer of peace. It's where the root word for, for what we call shalom, the, 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 the bringer of that. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine. This is all kinds of symbolism here and things that had to do with, with Jesus and his life. Did Jesus ride a donkey? Yes. Did he bind it? 
He binded his here to, to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, right? Speaking of the vine, of the, 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 the grapes and then the, the wine that would be given, like in the, the Last Supper, all these kind of pictures flooding back into here from the New Testament. He washed his garments in wine. Was Jesus not bathed in, in, in blood for you and for me? And his clothes in the blood of grapes, his eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. I still don't know about the whole teeth part, but I'm guessing it has to do with the, the cleansing, the whiteness that, that he is. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but it says the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Jesus was, was born, you know, in the, in the midst of his life, the Romans at certain point decided to take away the Jews' ability to enact the death penalty. This is probably actually around the time where when Jesus was a teenager and he went up to the temple when he escaped from his parents. And they, at that date, they took away the power for the Jews to enact the death penalty. Which is what that, that means, that scepter. It means like the rule of your own governance, basically. That's this verse. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. It won't be taken away, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Jesus had already arrived on the scene, and it was why he was alive that that law was taken away. Why do you think they had to have the Romans kill him? It's because the Jews couldn't do it. And that is a prophetic fulfillment of what was given in the 49th chapter of Genesis. I'm just going to read a few other things here. That the Messiah would be born of a virgin in Genesis, uh, sorry, we already talked about Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 7.14. That the Messiah would be born where? In Bethlehem. Where is that given to us? In Micah 5.2. That the Messiah would spend a season in Egypt in Hosea 11.1. That there would be a massacre of children where Messiah's birthplace was. This was foretold to us in Jeremiah 31.15. I know I'm going fast. You can listen to the tape later and look it up. A messenger that would prepare the way for the Messiah. This is John the Baptist in Isaiah chapter 40. That Messiah would be rejected by his own people. Psalm 69.8 and Isaiah 53.3. That he'd be betrayed by a friend. That would be Judas in Psalm 41.9. Sold for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11.12. That money would be thrown down in God's house. Zechariah again, 11.13b. That Messiah would be crucified with criminals when he hung on the cross, and one on the, on the right and one on the left. Isaiah 53.12. That Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced. This is given to us in Psalm 22.16 and Zechariah 12.10. That people would gamble for Messiah's garments. This is an amazing prophecy. There's actually a prophecy within Psalm 22 that they would actually gamble for two pieces of his clothing. The outer garment and the inner garment. There's a prophecy about clothing that came to pass 700 years after it was first given through David. These are not incidental things. These are proofs of the Messiah. And it's all over this book if we would just do what? Read the book. Read the book. Read the book. Know know your father who made you. Know his son who gave his life for you. Know his love and his power. Know him until your dying breath and tell as many people as you can that he came to redeem you from the grave. That you have a hope that is everlasting. That you have... You have assurance that you know, that you know, that you know where you're going to be when the day of your death comes. And you don't know that day. The Lord does. You do not. So going back to our original text. So he's persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. And it says in verse 24, and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken. So some were like doing this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
never knew that curse of the serpent had so much meaning. And that it says there were others, and some disbelieved. Now, the word for disbelieve is really important that you know. This means in spite of what was given, in spite of, in spite of the truth that was presented, they were against it. Apistos is actually what the word is in the Greek, and it means against faith. They did not want to have faith in it. They decided it was a hard-heartedness that was being expressed by their disbelief. It would be like if you and I went to a school when you were a kid, and someone told you, hey, look, I've got to teach you something. And it's true, okay? Five times five is 25. And you're like, 25, huh? I don't think so, man. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not like that. It's 24. And the teacher's like, oh, well, let me just prove it to you. Okay, so if we add five here and five here and five here, so that was 15. And we get five more, that's 20. I'm going to go add five more. We're going to finish this up. 25. And they proved it to you. They showed it one by one. Or maybe, maybe they went old school and they were like, one plus one plus one plus one plus one. And they just did the ones thing, right? My, my kids are still counting on their fingers, so that's kind of where I am right now. And, and they reach the 25th, and, 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 they, and they go through it a variety of ways, you know? And still the response is, no, no, I'm sure it's 24. Or maybe like 24.3. The heart of man is connected to the mind of man. Whether or not you are willing to hear truth, whether or not you are hear, willing to hear the gospel, whether or not you are willing to, to read and listen to what the word says will determine everything about how you read the word. If, if you come at the word and you're like, Psh, that's your attitude, that's fun to do. Let's all do it together. One, two, three. <laughs> then you're not going to get anything out of the word. I'm sorry. Because your heart is closed to it. You don't want to believe. And that's what, exactly what Paul deals with in this next section. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. And this is what Paul said to them. Dealing with a specific issue of not wanting. Not wanting to believe. He said, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, so he's saying, the Holy Spirit spoke to our fathers. So he's saying, our fathers. He's, he's, he's recognizing himself as a Jew. He's speaking to Jews. He's saying, guys, you know this scripture. Guys, you know that we come from this line of inheritance of these people. And this is what the Holy Spirit said through Isaiah to our predecessors, those who came before us. This is what he said. Saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. That's, that's an interesting line. Hearing you will hear but not understand. And seeing you will see but you will not perceive. You won't, you won't see correctly. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. And the word there is actually like your heart is thick with other things and thick with its own desires and thick with its own opinions. And, and it says it has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and they closed. Their eyes they have closed lest they, have, they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. So that I should heal them. How many people Maybe yourselves were these people at one time. We're literally just, you're just hard-hearted against the message of the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ who died on a cross and bled so that you could be 
cleaned up and born again and given life and renewed and redeemed, but you weren't ready to hear it because your heart was hard. You had a hard heart. Some people have hard hearts for, I mean, hard-heartedness can be explained by all kinds of things. Sometimes people have a really nasty, and I mean nasty, experience with religion when they're a kid, and that's terrible. You know, it's a bad taste in your mouth. Some people are proud. They think they know it all. I was one of those. Some people are ashamed, right? They just, they don't want to, they want people to know how, how nasty it is really in there, in that heart, that heart that we all have that is filled with deceitfulness and sin and lying, filled with envy, filled with murderous thoughts, filled with self, 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 self. You know what the problem is with self-help books? Self. You could wipe a whole series off at the bookstore. (laughs) Oh, look, that's based on self. On to the next one. The hard heart. Let me tell you something about a hard heart. God understands a hard heart. He has compassion on a hard heart. He loves the hard heart. He cares for the hard heart. He knows what the hard heart has been through. He knows what the things are that the hard heart feels. He knows the fact that the hard heart thinks in itself because the heart is connected to the mind that if I just hold things together myself, if I do things the way I want to, I'm going to be okay. That if I stick this stuff that happened to me in a little corner, that I can kind of deal with it and it's going to be okay. And, and God knows all about that. He knows how you hide from him. He knows how you, you try to, to keep him from getting into a certain part of your life. He knows how you keep him at distance and his word because you know it's going to speak against something in you. And he knows also that the only way for a hard heart to be overcome is by the love of Jesus Christ. There, there is no greater love that anyone will ever have for you, ever, ever, than the love that Jesus showed on the cross when he died. He got on that thing because of love. He got on that thing because he knew he had to pay a price to redeem your soul. And he, he bore the shame And he bore the sacrifice, which was completely unfair on every level. Everything that you've been through that was unfair, Jesus went through more unfair stuff than that. Everything that you've been through that hurt and was was hard on you, Jesus went through all that. He knows all about it. And that's why I'm telling you, he knows the hard heart. He knows because he's had to bear the brunt of it in the most amazing and hard ways. And still... From that place, he cries out to the hard heart. Still today, this is his word to the hard heart. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts. To understand with your heart. And turn. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has nothing but healing for you. This is his plan for your life to be healed and to be continually healing. Because when you turn to him, he has healing in his wings. You know, this, this whole message, I was going to talk about some other stuff, right? But then some people prayed for me, and I think that changed things. <laughs> Thank you. And what was up with that? Um, <laughs> I'm going to touch on one final thing as we close. We all have expectations in our lives, right? 
We had, you think about what, Paul, what did Paul expect when he went up this thing. I, did, I bet you for sure he did not expect to be greeted and encouraged by these brothers that came from Rome. And yet what an encouragement that was. He didn't expect it. You couldn't have expected that, right? But his expectation wasn't based on man. His expectation was based on God. If you get stuck in expectation because you're expecting things from people and they will let you down over and over again. If I haven't let you down yet in this church, it's just a matter of time. It's, it's not when. I mean, it's not if, it's when. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus, Jesus wants us to not have expectation of people. He wants us to expect much of him and I think, I think when he spoke these, uh, these amazing scriptures to the Jews that were gathered, you know, and he, he talked about the law of Moses and he talked about the, the prophets and all that was foretold. He was just showing them, look, God expects only for you to, to have faith. And he's proven that he has this And yet still, with all that proof and with all that truth, people still have to decide on their own. You have to make the decision on your own. You have to make the decision, am I going to turn in my hard-heartedness? And if you you haven't received Christ, then that's the first step. And if you have received Christ, you continue to turn to him. In a church, every Sunday, when there are people gathered, there are people who are unsaved, that haven't come to him for healing unto salvation. And then there are other people who, are, who need to continue to come to him, who need to take the next turn in their life for the next healing that he has, the next power that he has for you to live it out. It's always about turning to him for healing, for more healing and for more healing and for more You never get done. You just get better baked. Don't be half-baked Christians. I'm going to close with these, uh, these slides. It says there's there's two types of people. You ever heard of these things that say there's two types of people in the world, right? Like people who do this, people who do that. Let's put up those next slides, just in closing. So these are two types of people, right? You guys get that? There's the stick shifters and the automatic drivers. Next one. And those who eat chocolate like that. And those who eat chocolate the other way. Who's, who's the one on the left? The nice, neat chocolate eaters? Who are the like, Ow. yeah. That's, that's, that's more me. I'm like, what do you mean they made lines in here? Why? Why? Keep going. Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah. I was talking with Jeff yesterday about that, and he's like, well, obviously the one on the right, because the one on the left is just wrong. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Right? I know kids will take their sandwiches back to their parents be like, oh, you cut it wrong. <laughs> Keep coming. Oh, yeah, nice, neat, and organized on the right. I'm the guy on the left. I'm like, people look at my email thing, it's like 3,463. It's like there's more prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament than there are messages that I haven't read. Next. Yeah, I got your analog people, you got your digital people. Next. Ooh, sushi with a fork, sushi with, uh, with the sticks. Next. What did you name your Wi-Fi at your house? Some people name it like orderly on the left. Link says AC 1900. Tell my Wi-Fi I love her. Being all like clever and neat. You can tell why your neighbors, right? When you hook up into Wi-Fi and you're like, why did they name it that? Let's keep going. There's two types of people, tourists and explorers, right? You've heard that, the dividing line. Next one, this is my favorite. There are three types of people, those who can count and those who cannot. Get it? Yeah. You talk to me afterwards when we're praying. That's fine. Next one, there are three types of people in this world. Those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who wonder, what happened? (laughs) 
But the most important one is this next one. C.S. Lewis, the author and theologian, an English, old English, ancient English professor, ancient literature professor. He says this about God. He says, God, God looks on the earth also, and he has this whole two people thing, and this is, this is how he divides it up. There are those people who say to God, your will be done. That's called the posture of surrender. It looks like this. I'm done. I, I remember that moment for me in a little church in Akron, Ohio, and I just, I just, I'm done, man. I'm done. I'm done living for me and what I think I can do. I'm done living for myself and all the trouble I got myself into. I'm done trying to make it make sense when the math never added up. It just never added up. But he says there's also this other person. It's those to whom God says, so God's speaking to you, speaking to the hard-hearted. Okay, your will be done. God is never going to force you to follow him. He's, he's never going to be like, if you don't accept Jesus, I'm going to. No, no, no. He says, you make the call. This is what I've done. This is the prophetic word. This is the message of the cross. This is Jesus dying for you. Here are the facts. Five times five is 25. Jesus on the cross equals your salvation and redemption. And he promises eternal life. I mean, the benefits are pretty good. (laughs) But he'll never force the heart. You have to decide. You have to choose. And we live in a time where people think, oh, I can kind of make, it, make, it, make the decision later. Oh, I can kind of put this off. And No, you can't. Because if you want to be healed, you have to turn. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Paul wrote, Many books of the New Testament there. He prayed for people. People came and talked to him. And who knows if so many Jewish believers actually began and became believers because of this testament of God. Remember the Lord had a plan for Paul. Did you bear testimony for me in Rome? Look now at the fruit of it. It's all because people turned. Let's bow our heads. Lord, of those in this room, Lord, who maybe have never heard of the love of God through Jesus Christ, Lord, I just pray that you would be speaking to them now and convicting them. That they would know that the, the sin in their life, the disobedience, the, the self, Lord, is that's the enemy. And that you on the cross, you are the Savior. And you come to that enemy and you say, turn to me, turn away from your hard heart, Turn away from your bias and your preconceived ideas, your expectations, and come because I have healing for you. And if there's anyone here who has not received Christ as your your personal Savior, and you have to make that decision, you have to be born again into this thing of following Jesus Christ. If you have not received Christ and you wish to right now, would you just raise your hand? eyes, Eyes bowed, no one's looking. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. And pray right now and ask God, Lord, I know you paid the price for me so that I could be forgiven. 
Teach me to follow you. Teach me to come to you for healing in my life. Please come and be my Savior and my Lord. Be my friend. And if you pray that and you say, in Jesus' name and by, by faith in his name, then the word tells us surely that you are saved. For anyone else here who needs healing in their lives and you're trying to find healing in something else besides Jesus or you're trying to hide in some corner, same thing. Just, it's just step two. Turn to him now in prayer and say, I'm coming again to you for healing because you tell us in your word that when we turn to you, you have healing for us. He's a healing God. He's a wonderful God. He's an amazing God. He's a, a saving grace God. And he's done all the heavy lifting. We just have to rend our hearts. And today is a day for rending hearts. Jesus, you see, you know all that's gone on here. You, you know the hearts of those listening here. You know the hearts of those who are online. You, you know them so well. And I just pray for these hearts, for these people, that you will pour out your spirit upon them and help them to constantly be in that place of repenting and turning and coming again to you for healing. We thank you, Lord, that you have overheard. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen.